Don't worry, I only bring them so I've got something to stand on so I can get up to Steve's height. Um, I always, I've always looked up to my brother. <laughs> What's the weather like up there, Steve? Um, it's good, it's really good to be here. There was a verse. We'll get organised soon. People everywhere, no, verse line. Lord, your name is so great and powerful. People everywhere see your majesty. What glory streams from the heavens fill in the earth with the fame of your name. I don't know about you, but I'm not really a fan of that name, Missions. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> we love missions. It's the thing that completely changed the direction of Dionysus' life 25 years ago or a bit more. When we, we turned our back on what was then a comfortable and successful career in filmmaking, in film production in Perth. We had our own company and our own houses and all that sort of stuff. Not our own house. I didn't have one house. No, I had another house. I mean, we had a business house and a house house. We walked away from it and I, I don't regret it a bit. We've had a life involved in God's mission. But that word, mission, in lots of countries I go to, especially one in Asia that I lived in for four years just recently, you never mentioned the word. It was hush, hush. We talked about the M word. And if we, even today I write emails to my colleagues there and we talk about the M word. We're having a mission day at our family gathering this Sunday. <laughs> um, no, we are not. We're having an M day. And... Let's be honest, to some people, mission means, oh, they're after my money, they're after my time, they're after my energy, they're after my passion. Gosh, if I put my hand up for mission, I might go to some place in Africa where they've got no electricity and no decent food and, worst of all, no Wi-Fi, um, and they turn their back on missions. So I've wanted another word for mission, a word that, or some words that described it in a way that really said what mission is, because there's lots of missions in this world, right? There's spy missions and military missions, and it's a, it's a world word too, right? But how do we define God's mission? I think he did it in that verse. At the end, he said, fill in the earth with the fame of your name. Missions is giving fame to his name. That's it. That's what we're having. That's a good theme for next year, Steve. Got it already. And when you ask what on earth is God doing, that's what he's doing. He's bringing his fame to his name. He wants people to know that he is God, that he reigns, that he is majestic, that he is brilliant, that he is awesome. So what on earth are we doing? If that's what God is doing, what on earth are we doing? There's another psalm that sort of describes that for me. When I can find it. Sorry, I might have to put my binoculars on. Psalm 96 says, Go ahead, sing your new song to the Lord. Let everyone in every language sing him a new song. Don't stop. Keep on singing. Make his name famous. Bring fame to his name, right? Make his name famous. Tell everyone every day how wonderful he is. Give them the good news of our great Saviour. Take the message of his glory and miracles to every nation. Tell them about all the amazing things he has done. 
for the Lord's greatness is beyond description. He deserves all the praise that comes to him. He is our King God, and it's right to be in holy awe of him. Other gods are absolutely worthless. For the Lord God is creator God who spreads the splendor of the skies. Breathtaking brilliance and awe-inspiring majesty radiate from his shining presence. His stunning beauty overwhelms all who come before him. Surrender to the Lord Yahweh, all you nations and peoples. Surrender to him all your pride and strength. Confess that Jehovah alone deserves all the glory and honor. In some ways, it's, it's a psalm of praise, right? Encouraging us to praise. But then on the, on the other bit, it's encouraging us to be in mission. They're not different things, people. Mission is praise. We, 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 praise isn't just the bit we sing on Sunday mornings. Praise is our life. And an expression of our praise is to make known the name of God, is to make famous his name. It's what that psalm says. It's an awesome thing. It's an exciting thing. Missions isn't boring. It's not a chore. It's not a job that ticked that box of I've done any mission today. It is my life is a life of praise. And as an expression of that praise is to make famous his name. It's a famous name. It's an awe-inspiring name. We have a prayer meeting every month. Where we, where we get together for the people around the world, basically that we're partnering with who are bringing fame to his name. And we stand with them. Tonight's the night, actually the third Sunday of the month. We'll be gathering here just to, just to say, Father, bring fame to your name. In China, in Africa, in India, in Australia, in our area, through our lives, bring fame to your name. It's not like, oh, I've got to go to a prayer meeting. Got to go to a, I've got to go to a praise meeting. And as part of that praise meeting, we won't be singing praise. We will speaking out our praise and our desire to bring fame to the name. And you know what? It starts with us knowing God. It's got to start with that. And it springs out of that. It doesn't come out of a program or a responsibility or a duty. It comes out of we can't stop ourselves being involved in giving fame to his name. And... We've done that this year, and part of Global Vision Month is just to be able to reflect and go, look at, look at how we've brought fame, the invitations that God has given us to bring fame to his name this year. It's been exciting to see how God just releases money to us and says, here's an invitation, use that money to bring fame to my name. Amongst the children at Bushfire, amongst the kids in ICC, International China Concern, amongst um, the pastors and the churches are being planted in India amongst our chaplains and also amongst each one of us it's not just the corporate stuff we do that brings fame to his name it's the individual stuff that you're all involved in different ways in fact there's three people who are not here today because they're bringing fame to his name thanks Olivia maybe
So this morning, um, oh, I wonder what happened. So this morning, Rod's preaching in Nigeria. Um, uh, Anne's preaching at the Bushfire Church in Uganda. Dave's at a church in Albany. And who else? There's heaps of other people around the place today bringing fame to his name. That's exciting. wonder what, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, if we could get everybody who's doing everything and find out exactly what's happening in this place as people sponsor a child, um, see their, their workplace as a place of ministry, as they, they're on a board of a mission somewhere, as they, they pray regularly for something, as they, they just do life to bring fame to his name. We'd have a, a huge picture. It would be really exciting just to see the masterpiece that God is painting in this place, but we don't have time. In fact, maybe we've got time to... You've got a mic. Yeah, he's got a mic. Do it. Okay. Like, Come here. I'll, I'll um, tell you what. We'll swap microphones if, first. If you're, that's better. If, you're, um, if this one doesn't work, that's a trick. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible like that. Um, so what about if... Think about what you're doing to bring fame to his name. And it might be what you think is idiot, idiot, uh, which is... <laughs> Idio? Idio? Idio. It's, that's Chinese are very small. You might, <laughs> sorry, I <laughs> back a bit. Um, it's, um, yeah, it might, you might think it's very small, but it's not. It's part of the big picture, right? Whatever you're doing to bring fame to his name. Put your hand up. If you're tall, Steve will go to you. If you're short, I'll go to you. Right, so put your name up if you're... Come on, I'm going to find someone if they don't put their hand up. I don't have soapboxes today, so it's not about you I'll doing find someone. Hey, look, I've found someone over just here. Just a comment. Go. Here's someone who's doing fame. Yep. Adrian. Um, I'm actually part of a group that are here today, um, teachers at uh, Hillside Christian College, and we bring the scriptures and God into the lives of the students, which are not all Christian, but they're all there, and their parents have said, yes, Amen. we're allowed to teach them. Good work. Well done, awesome. Teachers. Well, I found mine. Where's can yours? I, can I just say, this isn't about boasting, then that's not boasting, so don't hold Teachers, I've found some teachers it's, over here. It's, hang on a sec. It's about respond, what you're doing to respond to the invitations that God blesses you with to bring fame to his name, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, Steve? Oh, over here. Here we go. Well, how come I'm running? What are you doing over my side? Well, you should be taking this one. Um, I am um, now working as a chiropractor with another chiropractor in Winthrop and um, both as Christians and we actually met on Thursday to be intentional about what we can do in our practice to actually make God the centre of it and how we actually um, impact on the people through Christ and what we do every day and uh, so yeah so we're just sort of trying to make some plans and how we can do that and what that'll look like and yeah so that we're trying to be intentional about that so I think it's really yeah, great yes awesome awesome Raymond chiropractic services after the service Someone, someone give me a hand over my side. Oh, here we go. So I've been on two ab uh, Aboriginal community mission trips, one to um, Balagoy community in the Tanama Desert and one in Kulkadi in the Cap Schools. So just we really enjoyed that and like to continue doing that. That's one Christian college has got a huge service program. So we were um, planting some trees as well and bringing a blessing to um, a lot of families. Um, by cleaning houses and all sorts on Friday. I got Frank over here. Frank does amazing things. Is, is Haley here too? Because she went on that trip to Coolgardie. She is. It's, it's, it's no, Haley. Okay, go Frank. She's over here. Here we go, go Frank. Frank. Come on, Frank. Tell us about what you were doing before you retired, but now what you're doing. Come on. He's not retired. He's still working hard. I'm not retired, and I'm not working particularly hard, so I don't really know what you mean. But 
<laughs> but I hope to be back at work next year. Awesome. Awesome. So what were you doing at work? Come on. Come on, tell us about the boys. You are oh, back last year. Okay. Yeah, I've worked uh, for five years <coughs> with extreme behaviour young men and uh, working one-to-one, -one basically, and uh, just loving them, and which sometimes is hard to do, um, but uh, just helping them and they're getting better and um, it's, it's uh, just gently and gradually like a granddad trying to turn them around and tell them that God loves them. Just loving them, eh? It sounds good. I've just come back from Cambodia uh, visiting International Village Care Ministries and a friend of mine and myself go there and we spent six weeks teaching the children their English. But more importantly, we teach them that God loves them and that they shine out Jesus. They know the Lord and, um, and he accepts them for who they are and you can be free and it's all right to make a mistake. So um, that's a real blessing. We we're always really joyful when we spend time with kids. Wonderful, well oh, done. I've got one over here, a good-looking one. Woohoo! It's buggy. Um, yeah, I, I work in, with victims of crime, and I think we're very focused on the emotional and uh, physical well-being of people, but a big area that we miss, of, of course, is people's spiritual health and their soul. Um, and even though you can't say anything, because I work within the government, um, the government department, I think just having a presence there where sometimes I feel that you do connect with people on a spiritual level um, and, um, you know, you can pray for people and I just think that whole spirit, spiritual dimension is where it's really good to have a Christian in that sort of place for that purpose. Um, and sometimes I just feel with some clients a real spiritual connection with them and yeah you just yeah just being real i went over here um i actually oh. i actually want to um like because luke didn't put his hand up i actually want to encourage luke because um he's he's brought this awesome program together that we've just um started started running at youth it's called um five for 52 and the whole premise is for 52 weeks um you gather as a small group now we're doing this in our youth small group at the moment um and it's the young people gather and they all give a sum that they've got on their heart each week that you then pull into a kitty and as a group you can decide what you want to do, whether that's go on short-term mission trip, run. We're, we're rarely interested in running, um, I guess, a service for anybody in the community to learn how to help their friends that have mental health issues. And, I mean, National Australia Clean Up Day is sponsoring things like that. So, yeah, Luke's got an amazing program that he started and that we're just... Just so excited for how he's bringing it. And, um, yeah, the amazing things he's doing with the young people is awesome. Yeah. Good job, Luke. That's great. Woo, where's Luke? Woo. That's funny. I just stepped over to Luke and said, tell him about 5 for 52. And he went, no, 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 no. And then Tim picked it up. So good work, Tim. That was, that was great, guys. Um, and it is exciting to be about God's amazing adventure. And it's what God's about, right? That's the thing. Um, when I when I first left the um, there was a time in our life when the church said to us Jeff and I go get out of here clear off <laughs> they sent me out they sent us out for six months in 95 um, and I went up to Darwin and I was trying to work out how I was in the middle of this mission environment and I didn't know what to do because it was nothing like the commercial <laughs> thing I <I've been laughs> didn't understand 
um, how to do it at all. And I said to the then director of that mission, a guy called Barry Borneman, who's known to many of us, um, I said, how do you do this mission stuff? He said, you just look to see what Jesus is doing, ask him if you can join in. And this is what God is doing, right? So doing exactly what we said. There was a time when Isaiah, it seems to be the, the second Isaiah, there's one Isaiah who's got one Isaiah than the other. He, his, uh, his, the first 40 chapters of, of, of the book, do you like it? Thanks. Yeah, there's the first, uh, it's a dad joke. I used to tell dad jokes, but he's not with us anymore, so I can't. Um, but he's, uh, you'll get it eventually. Um, so anyway, the second Isaiah, he wrote this prophecy over a guy called Cyrus. He said, it's God's words. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know that there is no other God. That is what God is about. That is what God was about. And he's that was prophesied over a guy called Cyrus, but he's not even born yet, right? He's not born for 150 years yet when this is written. And he said some other things about this Cyrus guy. He said, this is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. His anointed one. He's not a Jew. <laughs> he's he's um, Persian. And yet the prophecy said he's his anointed one. And he goes on to say, um, I carry out the predictions of my prophets. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. And it goes on to say how rich this guy would be. But he wasn't born yet, right? So 150 years time later, put the clock forward. This is according to a guy called Herodotus, who's a historian that I know well. <laughs> um, apparently this guy Cyrus is born to... His mother, mundane, not mundane, mandane, sorry, mandane, mundane, be a bit of a fight going on, but mandane. But the, he was on a death sentence on day one. He was, they were trying to wipe him out because his grandfather had had a dream and in the dream, the interpretation of the dream was that his grandson would be born and he would take over the whole of Asia and this grandfather wanted to take over the whole of Asia so he organised for this guy to be killed by someone and on day one the guy picked up the baby and couldn't do it so he, he gave the baby to a shepherd and said take that baby out into the bush somewhere and kill and bury that baby and if you don't you'll be killed so um, the guy takes the baby the poor shepherd goes and calls him home first and shows the baby to his wife never show a newborn baby to your wife they get clucky well this lady, his wife got clucky and she got down on her knees and she begged that he wouldn't kill the baby but she would rear it and she did. So this guy, born in a royal household, is brought up as a shepherd in a shepherd's family. That was prophesied 150 years earlier. And then this king goes and he becomes the king of Persia. He's called Great Cyrus or Cyrus the Great. He has the biggest... And, and the empire, the Persian Empire, was the biggest empire ever known to man, this very successful king. And the crowning glory was he took Babylon. And uh, Babylon at that time was the home of exile to the Jewish people. 
And he comes along and says, Jewish people, you can go home now. And not only that, he said, those sacred things that are in Babylon that should be in Jerusalem, I release them to go back to the temple. And not only that, he put his money and his resources and his energy into building the temple. And it was all prophesied 150 years earlier because God wants his name to be made known. And that's not happening just 150 years ago. It's happening today. I, we, uh, when, before we went off on this mad journey, which was meant to be six months and it's lasted 25 years, um, I was in the military markets the day before and I, Midland mil military markets, it's probably gone now, right? Yeah. Got burned down. Okay, well, it wasn't me. Um, and uh, I bumped into a lady who used to come to the church at that point. She said, oh, Jeff, I had a dream of you last night. I thought, oh, I hope my wife's not around. She said, no, I had this dream and I saw these air tickets being written with your name on all over the world and then paid in full, stamped all over them. I said, oh, that's a crazy dream, you know. <laughs> Did you eat cheese before you went to bed? You know, it, it just, like, didn't mean anything. But over the, over the years that followed, that happened. I never paid for an airfare. I went to about 40 countries. It's just like God was just confirming the call upon me by his word of prophecy. And it was unbelievable. There was even one time I did a trip, around the world trip, business class, paid for by the United Nations. <laughs> Thank you. I asked them if they could upgrade me to first, but they didn't. But, you know, and that's, somebody would say, Jeff, we need you to go to Brazil. How am I going to get there? Well, actually, someone's already donated the fare. Or, or I've got enough points to do that. Or there was different ways, but we never... And it got to the point where if someone said, can you go to outer Mongolia? I said, who's paying for the fare? Well, you'll have to. No, it's not my calling. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was really good. <laughs> I met this guy called Peter, but he wasn't called Peter when he was born. In fact, seven years before Peter was born, um, a guy had come to his father and said, you will have a son and he shall be called Peter and he would lead his nation into independence. This is in the Solomon Islands. And uh, the guy just parked that and he had his third son seven years later and he didn't call him Peter, he called him something else. And Peter grew up on this island in, in the Solomons and um, no education uh, at all. He got to 12, 13 he, he went off to another little village where there was a church and they did a sort of day thing, but he didn't learn anything. One day, some official in the Solomon said, two kids from that school will go to boarding school at the best school in the Solomons. It's it just one of those things they want to do. So a boat came. And the leader of the village said, no, you, there's no two kids here that fit. So the boat went away. And then the official said, go back and make sure you don't leave without two kids on that boat. So... Suddenly one day this boat came back, ship came back. So I thought, oh, we've, got to, we've got to send someone. Hey, you, whatever your name is, <laughs> go get on that boat. You're going to school. Just like that, half an hour notice, boom. And he's whisked 160 miles away, kilometres away, and he starts his education in kindergarten at the age of 14. Sometime a year later he was baptised, and uh, as he was baptised, they brought him out of the water. The pastor said, from now on, you shall be called Peter. In 1978, Solomon got its independence and on July the 7th, 1978, they had a big festivity to celebrate, celebrate their independence. 
and I've forgotten the word for it. Whatever you do when you, in, when you put a prime minister into office, not elect him in, but he'd already done that, but he ordained or something, the first, the first ever, what did you say? That's the word I was searching for. Thank you, Teacher Steve. Um, they inaugurated the first prime minister of the Solomon Islands, and it was Peter Canaloria, to lead his people into independence. And this guy loved the Lord, and he was just committed to somehow getting the Bible into the language of the Solomon Islanders, because although English was their main language, well, it was their official language, only 2% of the people spoke it. 50% of them spoke Solomon Island Pidgin, and he wanted them to be able to know the Lord. He wanted to make famous the name of God. And on July the 7th, 19, no, 2008, the festivities for the 30th anniversary of their independence, two books were launched to the people of the Solomons. One of them was this book, Peter's Autobiography, which is just his story of how God led him and, and the history of the Solomons from through that journey of independence. It's a serious sort of book, really good if you need to prop up the projector or something. But that was released to the people. And you know what the other book was, don't you? Pardon? The whole Bible in the Solomon Islands Pigeon. That was why God had him there in that position. That's why he prophesied seven years before he was born. That's why he would be there. I, I met with the guy the next day or two days later. I went to the Parliament House to interview the, the, prime, the current Prime Minister and interview Peter. He was still the Speaker of the House. He'd, he'd been the Prime Minister for a while and then he'd followed the Australian pattern and he'd left and had another term and then left and had another term. Um, now he's the Speaker of the House. So we're going to Parliament House, right, to interview these two guys. And uh, my sound recordist at the time was my son, who's in the industry too, and he's in the back of the cab. And we're going to... And in case you don't know... Film industry people have a funny sort of vocabulary and they have different names for different things. And one of the microphones we use is called a shotgun, right? Sennheiser 816, shotgun mic. So Ben leans over the front of the cab and says to me, when we shoot the Prime Minister, Dad, will we use the shotgun? Do you want to see a Solomon Islander go white? And he, he stopped the car. And we had to convince this guy that it's okay. He dropped us off at the Parliament House in the end, and as he left, he burned rubber. We filmed the Prime Minister, and I went and spent some time with Peter, and it was a lovely time. And as I left, as I left, he, he kindly presented me with a copy of his autobiography. And inscribed in the front, which I didn't know until I got home, was to Jeff, my brother in the Lord, thank you for your labour of love in helping Solomon Islanders to have the Bible in their own language. Now, hey, I didn't translate one word of the Bible into their language. I did a really little bit. I, my friends did, and I supported them, and I'd made some films to promote the work and to get some supporters for them. And, and I was there on the day and um, unworthily honoured on that day with the you know, flowers around your neck and all that stuff. But I hadn't done anything. But to him, everything was about making God's name great. And... Whatever little part I had to play in that was important. Whatever little part you play, what you think is little, is part of the whole deal. Part of the whole deal. I met this guy, P 
Pardon. Nard. I was going to call him Pardnuggio. His name is Nard Puggio. He was, he, he was in this village, in, he was part of the Isnak people in the Philippines, right? Northern Philippines. He was growing up in a grass hut. Um, like, they didn't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> they didn't have anything. They didn't have power. They just, like, they were a forgotten people. And one day, two guys, I don't know the second guy's name, but the first name was Dick Rowe. They're Americans. They came to their village and said, we'd love to come and just live here and learn your language and get to know you and, and uh, you know, just hang out with you. And they, you're nuts. No, I said, you're crazy. Why would you want to do that? Um, but they did. And they learned the language and they all became friends. And, and one day Dick came to Nard and said, um, Nard, I've been, while I've been here, I've been translating this book about our God. Um, into your language and I've done a little bit of it and wouldn't mind if you could read it and tell us if I've used any wrong words or rude words or you know just just check it for us you know um, and he gave him the book of Mark and I said to me he sat down and he went oh, this God is amazing I've got lots of gods they're animistic people we've got lots of gods but this Jesus he could join our list of gods look what he does he said, and as I read the book, it was like I was really there with this guy. As he's teaching and as he's healing and he's freeing people. He got really excited. But he said, what really got me was when they arrested him and they beat him and they mocked him. And I'm going, ah, oh, this is God's son, right? So God's going to come and do something pretty tricky right now. Oh, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And now Jesus to a tree. And Nard couldn't believe it. Jesus said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And Nard said, I got so angry. I got this book and I threw it as far away from me as I could. What's the point of a God who can't even save his own son? I need a God who will protect me from evil spirits. But this, this is a fake God. His son just died. And he said, and then it's like God's hand gripped his heart. And squeezed his heart and wouldn't let go. And he went and picked up the book. And he read the rest of the story. And he gave his life to Jesus. Because he discovered that there is power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a power that's available to him. And he said to God, I give my life to you. And God, one more thing. If you're really God, can you get me educated? Because <laughs> there's no hope in this village. And miraculously... Not long afterwards, he had an opportunity to go to Mindanao, which is right in the south, and go to school. It was just like out of the box. It was just never going to happen. While he was there, someone said to him, you know what? We need aviation, missionary aviation pilots in this country who are local. Not one day the Westerners won't be able to do this stuff, but we need, we need people like you and I would be a pilot. He said, what? I was born with a machete in my hand. Driving an aeroplane is far too complicated for me. But God led him, led him, led him, and somehow provided for him. And he got to America, and he's, there's miracles all the way. And he's, he says, I'm in this queue, going to this registration for the D.L. Moody Bible Institute. And he said, I knew that when I got to the end of the queue to sign up, I'd need $650 for my fees, and I had $50 in my pocket. And he said, I had my hand in my pocket, holding this $50, and I was really waiting for it to grow. 
I really believed it, he said. I believed that this $50 would just swell and become 650 but it never happened. He got to the front of the queue and they said, what's your name? He said, my name's not Puggio, but if you can't say that, you can say Smith. <laughs> they said, oh, Mr. Puggio, there's a check here for you for $650. Every step of the way, God had his hand on this man and the highlight of his life was he flew into his village, he became a helicopter pilot, he flew into his village and know what was on board? The first 500 copies of the New Testament in their language. This book that he'd thrown away, God used him in a mighty way to bring it back into his people. That's what God's doing to make his name great. Gosh. One more. Oh. Tell you about Simon Carlin. I met him in Nepal because he's a Nepali and they live, tend to live there. I said, tell me your story. He said, well, I was a tour guide in, uh, in the Himalayas. And one day we had this tour of Singapore people came and I was guiding them through the Himalayas and I noticed every time we stopped and had a snack, they went, um, uh, they'd close their eyes and put their head down and close their eyes and I go what are you doing that for and they said well we want to be thankful to our God because he provides everything we need and he said oh that's okay each, each to their own and at the end of the trip the leader came up to him and said hey what um, I'd like to pray with you before we go and he said oh yeah you can pray for me and they said no Simon we're going to pray with you you're going to pray as well he said no I don't do that pray stuff so we see what happens so he started praying and then before he'd finished Simon was in tears and he was asking for God's forgiveness and acceptance. And became a believer and um, he, he followed the ways of Jesus. And he met a guy who was a missionary. I can't remember his name, doesn't matter. And um, the missionary said, we're having a baptism at four o'clock tomorrow morning because we have to do it in secret. And no, I said, not ready for that. Well, when you decide to be baptized in some of these countries, it's a little different to being decided to be baptized here. It could cost you your job. It could cost you your friends. It could cost you your life. And he wasn't ready. Two o'clock that morning, God woke him up and said, Nod, get baptized. So four o'clock in the morning, he turned up at this mountain stream, right? The, the streams in the Himalayas, I guess, wouldn't be warm. <laughs> so I'm going to be baptized. And they said, oh, you changed your mind? He said, God changed my mind. So he's baptized. He came up out of the water and um, they rushed him with a towel. And he said, no, before that happens, I've got to do something. His name was Simon Carlin. And he was part of a tribe called the Carlin People Group. Because in that people group, you and the tribe, you all have the same surname. Don't ask for a job to be a postman. They'll be terrible. Uh, he said, I've got something to do first. And he knelt down and he put his hands to heaven. He said, God, don't let me be the only Carlin in heaven. That's all he cared about. He didn't want to be the only one of his people group in heaven. And for 11 years, he kept that prayer up. In 11 years, one became a Christian. And as I talked to him that day, he said, you know what, Jeff? Now there's 245 Carlins going to be in heaven with me. It's all he cared about was making... God's name known in his community. Happens to be overseas to us, but it wasn't overseas to him. It was in his community he was making famous the name of God. Guys, that's what mission is. What are you doing to make known the name of God, to make famous the name of God? Let's, um, maybe those who are coming to um, share communion, yeah, and you guys can come up. Um, I can... Sorry about the time, it's just run away today. But we want to just take some time over uh, the communion feast, this love feast. Just to recognize what a wonderful, awesome God we have.
What an incredible price he paid that he might make himself known to us. A time for us to reflect as um, we sang in that song earlier and then we'll sing again shortly that our God does reign. <laughs> that our life is about promoting the name of Jesus. We're not here on life to play the blame game. We're here to play the fame game. <laughs> Bringing fame to the name of Jesus. Thanks. I'll just... John 13 we read that as Jesus came to um, preside over this feast it says Jesus knew his hour had come he knew what the time was said he knew where he was going he was going back to the father and he knew the authority he had in Jesus Christ that's what he knew and as a result of what he knew it said he went to show the full extent of his love to show that there was nowhere, there was nowhere too dark that the love of God couldn't bring light. There was no pain too deep that the love of God couldn't relieve. There was no loneliness too empty that the love of God couldn't fill. That the love of God extends to us and extends to you. And then? He knelt down, took off his towel, got his clothes, put on a towel and served his followers. As we serve people around us, as we, as we serve those in our community who are lonely and who are broken and who are hungry and are in whatever prison they're in, we're extending the love of Christ and we're bringing fame to his name. As you take this feast today and think of all what Jesus has done. Consider the invitation he gives you to be part of bringing fame to the mighty name of our mighty God. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was bruised for us, for your blood that was poured out for us. We confess that we don't understand the full significance of all of that yet because it is so, so deep, so, so awesome, we can't imagine it. But for that, that we do understand, we thank you, because you've enlightened us to that understanding. And as we take this bread today, and as we drink this cup, we seek to bring fame to your name. Amen.